part of relationship with God when it's experiencing His presence and, and when you have interactions with Him. Relationship doesn't... Uh, what I'm trying... <laughs> you can't teach what relationship will teach you. Right? We can talk about God. We can teach principles up here. But if you don't experience... Experience... Everybody say experience. I mean, if your experience, thank you, mom. If if the limit of your relationship with God is a set of clinical truths and times and traditions at church, you're missing out. It's one dimensional. It's a mistake. I think I'm saying it enough ways. Everybody understand? Can't can't teach relationship. You can talk about it. But you you got to be able to experience it. And uh, if, if you're here and if you're engaged, you're experiencing it this morning. I'm experiencing. I'm hearing him say things. The times he has told me things that I know are him does more for me and for my faith and for my for me as a person, it does more for me sometimes than listening to a dozen messages talking about how much God loves you. You know what I mean? You gotta have, gotta have those experiences because eventually, and this is what he meant in part when he talked about the sower sowing the word, right? And different things come along, come along and make the word unfruitful whether it's offenses, whether it's cares of this life. Tell me, if all God is to you is a set of traditions and a creed, if that's all God is to you, it won't take very much care or it won't take that big of a storm to come along to, for you to start to sacrifice that creed, that impersonal set of rules that you grow up with. It's not a relationship. It's not a person. It's not your life. It's something dry. It's been in your ground a long time, but it's not got any real living roots. <laughs> and I think something like COVID comes along and we're all, we're all so sad people aren't coming to churches anymore. Like COVID didn't make their relationship with God dry. <laughs> it was dry and they just kept it going. We don't want relationships with God like that. We want living. Everybody say living. Man, we want a living experience with God. He told me something this week since I've been here. <laughs> something I needed to hear. I hadn't. <laughs> and, um, yeah, I don't know. It's just on my heart because cause it's me and it's him and I'm up here. So, <laughs> But he told me, he says, I want you to know I honor your prayers. He says, I want you to know. I honor your prayers. When he told me that, I stopped casting them around like dice. hoping they land. I hope, I hope he hears me. 
He hears you. Everybody say, He hears me. Praise you, Jesus. He loves you. He honors you. He appreciates you. He is such a comfort when there's stuff going on. I don't know if I can go down that rabbit trail. He's... I feel like I'm supposed to. (laughs) Give me grace. I don't want to stand up here crying. (laughs) Okay. I can do this. (laughs) He is involved and he cares. He cares. He cares about the little things and the big things. I hear sometimes people mocking. (laughs) I understand why. Because we can be pretty petty and selfish. But he does care about the little things. Sometimes I hear people mocking when we pray for God to help us find our keys. I understand. Not the biggest deal in the world. But do you know he's there? (laughs) So if it's not a living, breathing relationship for you and all it is is a theological construct, they will mock you because you ask God to help you find your keys. (laughs) But I'm so grateful when he has. (laughs) You ever had a load full of kids in the van? It's hot summer day and you can't find your keys. (laughs) One time I was running around, me and Nat both running around. Where's the keys? Where's the keys? Where's the keys? Time was of the essence. Kids were in the van. I don't know where they are. I just had them. I'm, I do this all the time. I just had them. She's, <laughs> we were running around. She said, I don't know how the Lord put it to her. He says, the Lord told me they're in the trash. <laughs> do you remember that, honey? Why, why are they in the trash? I don't know why they're in the trash. I was the one that had them. You ever, I, I think I probably was trying to throw something else away. <laughs> I threw the keys away. And uh, so she went and she looked in the trash and there they were in the bottom of the trash can. I'm so grateful for his relationship and the small things. Everybody say small things. He's there. We forget sometimes he's there. I'm grateful for him in the big things. Everybody say big things. I can still remember when, when dad passed away and I can remember trying to pray for him to be raised from the dead. I was 20, what was I, 23? <laughs> Before I moved up to here to pastor. And after he'd passed that night, we, we were on, I still remember I was on that stretch of highway between Joplin and Kansas City, 71, Highway 71. Somewhere in the middle of that wilderness of gas stations where they sell pecans on the side of the road. And I remember him saying to me, I was thinking about that. And in my heart, I wanted to ask myself, why didn't I have the faith to deal with that? And you know what the Lord told me? I hope I'm not making you uncomfortable. I'm making myself more uncomfortable, trust me. 
But the Lord told me, he says, you know, Jesus, he lost his dad at a young age, too. Thank you. And uh, and instantly, my mind, I said, you have no way of knowing that. (laughs) Like our minds do. History doesn't know what happened to to Joseph. They don't know. That nothing is mentioned about him. But when I said that in my heart, I said, you have no way of knowing that. Speaking to myself, like that's not God's voice. It came right back. So sorry. This is not what I was going to preach today. (laughs) Give me a second. Give me a second. This is me. I don't think this is God. In the emotional sense, okay? Thank you. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. He came back and he said, why then did Jesus have to give his mother to John when he was dying? If there was somebody else to take care of him, Jesus was 33 when he died. Joseph, Joseph not taking care of his own wife at 33. Jesus is at 33. He gave the charge of Mary to John. This is your mother. This is your son. That means before the age of 33, before the age of 30, Joseph was already dead. That's what the Lord told me. Can I prove it? No, I can't prove it. (laughs) But I know what he told me. And in that moment, he was comforting. He was comforting me in the big things. Everybody say big things. He wasn't letting me beat myself up because I didn't have faith. And as a young man, you remember things like that. You remember. You remember. I love him so much. He has always been there for me. He has never left me nor forsaken me. Thank you, Jesus. He's never left me nor forsaken me. Hallelujah. Thanks for bearing with me. Relationship is not something that you can easily prove. You can't quantify it. You can't put it in a glass and examine it. But it's real. It's more real than science and facts. 
It's a higher degree. Everybody say higher. It's more important. It excels and it exceeds. I love understanding physics, math, things that you can have a definite outcome, you know, because you can control it. You can easily understand it. You can take it apart, put it back together. You can prove. Everybody say prove. (laughs) But you can't prove relationship, really. Prove to me that my wife loves me. Prove it to me. How, How do you prove something like that? You can't put it in a glass. You can't tear it apart. It excels. It's more important. It's eternal. It's something between her and I. Relationship with God is the same way. Prove it to me. What what are you asking? (laughs) I know what he's told me. I know what he's done for me. I know when I've had no money. And he's helped. I remember when we had Caitlin. Or we were about to have Caitlin. And I was praying, driving here. I was working at the church. And at the time we weren't making a lot. We weren't making enough to afford a $40,000 van. (laughs) You know, and what we wanted, what we needed. And I was striving. I was going through Craigslist, looking at different things, trying to figure out how can I get this? What do I need to do to provide for my family? And I was trying to be obedient. And the Lord simply said, I was in prayer. I was back there. I was here on some random weekday praying Looking at Craigslist listings for vans because I got a little girl coming and that's going to make five of us, you know. And I remember what the Lord said. He said, when you need a new car, it will be there for you. That's all he said. And we had been experiencing some scary symptoms with our old Chrysler Concord, 99 gold. <laughs> like, okay, what do I do, Lord. Now, the Lord may tell you, go to such and such bank. The Lord may tell you, I'm giving you extra hours at work. What the Lord told me was, when you need a new car, it'll be there. So, I closed my iPad, and I started thanking Him and praising Him and worshiping. And I stopped looking for vans. I just stopped. Okay. Every once in a while, I'd try. I was like, well, we'll see what's up on Craigslist. When you need a new car. <laughs> and about three weeks before Caitlin was born, we had friends in Dubuque. And we'd visit them probably once every two or three months. And we, we went to college with the one one girl. And they we had an ideal, my wife and I, we had an ideal. We said, we want this fan. We want this these Features, if we can ask for that, God, is it okay if we ask for leather seats? Is it okay if we ask for like a thing where you can watch movies in the car? You know, not, is that okay? Okay, with, with fear and trembling, we wrote these little requests down, you know. <laughs> we don't want to be greedy, but we did. Uh, it was November, I don't remember, it was that first week in November, they came pulling up in our van, or pulling up in our driveway with coffee cups, travel mugs, and keys. And they said, this is yours. Go look out in the front yard. 
And to my knowledge, we never told anybody what kind of van we wanted. But it's still serving us today. It's still serving us today. <laughs> Leather seats. Honda Odyssey. It's got the DVD player the kids still watch. Because he said, when you need a new car, it'll be there for you. I mean, that car had 40,000 miles on it. It, it. it would have cost us... I would have had to be making probably $500 payments minimum a month to get that. And that's, that's a testimony to relationship. Everybody say relationship. Don't take your relationship with him for granted. Don't let it become... A form without the power. Don't let it become a, a list of things that you do where we go to church, that's who we are. But you stop talking to God. Well, we read our Bible, that's what we do. But once you leave your Bible on the table, you don't t- take Him with you in your heart. There is a practice. Everybody say practice. There is a practicing of being aware of his presence in the day and in listening. And the more you spend time with him, the better your relationship's going to be with him. What if that's the only real reward? I'm going to have a better life. No, you're going to know him. <laughs> and because you know him, everybody say, know him. Because you know him, everything about you is going to change. The selfish parts, I guarantee you, if you spend enough time in the sun, you're going to get tanned. <laughs> if you spend enough time in the light, you're, the darkness is going to have to go. And when you spend enough time with him, fellowshipping with him, seeing his heart towards you, and then comparing your heart towards others, you're going to be like, That's not right. He's selfless. He's giving. He's not selfish. How he treats me is not how I... I don't want to treat other people. I don't want to treat other people selfishly. I don't want to stair-step over other people at my work. It's going to change how you see things. Because you love him. Everybody say love him. Relationship is a two-way street, and he loves everybody. But the people that look like him are the people that love him. They fall more and more and more in love with him. And do not think for a moment that you cannot fall out of love with him. That possibility is before every single person. Paul said it. He says... There's potential in me. Let me see if I can find it. I don't have it written down. Is it all right if I look for a second? Jesus. First Corinthians. Everybody can turn to First Corinthians. 
chapter 9, verse 24. <clears throat> oh, okay. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24. Know you not that they which run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize. So run that you may obtain. Run that you may obtain. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath. So they had the Olympics back then. They didn't get gold medals. They got wreaths, right? This is why they did it. But we an imperishable. Everybody say imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly i do not box as one beating the air but i discipline my body and keep it under control lest after preaching to others i myself should be disqualified everybody said disqualified king james says castaway that's why i couldn't find it i was searching castaway in esv <laughs> in other words there exists the potential and paul's saying this he's like look if i allowed my emotions to become God instead of God, I could become a castaway. Anybody have their emotions become God instead of God become God? Anybody had their themselves serve their emotions and not the other way around? Do you know the right order of things is that your emotions serve you? You don't serve your emotions. Every time you had a fit of anger that wasn't submitted to you, you're serving your emotions. You understand that? I've had fits of anger where I was serving my emotions. That is not how God wants your emotions to run through you. you. Got it? Jesus, when he was angry, he didn't just lose it. <laughs> he didn't just flip out because he'd had enough of Peter. He didn't just flip out because they were selling stuff in his father's temple. He deliberately... And purposefully wound up cords and whipped them out of the temple. Be you angry and sin not? <laughs> Are you angry and it's not a sin? Don't let the sun go down on that. Let your anger serve you and not you serve your anger. Anybody have their desires? I serve my desires. No, your desires serve you. I have to be wealthy. It's what defines me. No, your desires serve you. I'm full of lust. No, that lust serves you. You understand? Every time things get out of place is when something takes control of you and you end up serving it. That is not how God created you. He created you to manage those things. They are to be enhancers of life, not takers of it, not enslavers. Make sense? And he says this here. He says, I discipline my body and I keep it under control. What does an athlete have to do? You ever read about elite athletes or people that have, uh, you know, I think of some of those swimmers or runners. I sometime I, I, I am going God willing, I'm going to run a marathon at some point in my life. 
But if you're going to do that, you have to discipline. Everybody say discipline. You've got to discipline your body to serve you. And he's saying, I've got to do the same thing, but I do it for a different reason. I'm not doing it for fame. I'm not doing it for selfish ambition and glory. He says, I'm doing it so that I can be an example, so that if I'm preaching to others, don't fall to sin. What, what's it going to look like if I fall to sin? So he gives this possibility here. He says, it's completely possible for me to erect another idol in my heart that I end up bowing to other than God. That's what he's saying here. And it is completely possible for each and every one of us. Everybody say me. It's completely possible. The possibility exists. It depends on how you tend your garden. It depends on where you sow your time. It depends on what you allow to rule and reign in your home. And I don't just mean in your home. I mean in your home. Everybody pat your head. (laughs) What do you allow to reign in your home? This is your temple. What you feed matters. What you feed on matters. There's no one... There's no one dessert that's going to kill you. But a lifetime of eating too much dessert might. (laughs) There's no one movie. There's no one sitcom. There's no one message or idea that's going to kill you. But a lifetime of entertaining other people's sin might. You understand what I'm saying? Everybody hearing me? Jesus said... I believe it was in Matthew when he's talking about the end. He says, because lawlessness or iniquity will increase, the love of many will grow cold. I don't know if this is the end times. Everybody likes to say it is. Everybody from every generation that has ever existed says it's the end times. So we're nothing new, (laughs) including the first church. But if this is the end times, the lawlessness increasing would fit. Because it is. Sin is increasing. Everybody say increasing. (laughs) I mean, it's it's not something that you want to end up serving. Exercise self-control. I don't box as one beating the air. Ever, (laughs) Ever beat the air? I've beaten the air. What do I mean by that? The goal, the prize, the purpose, the thing that I am trying to achieve. I try for a bit and then I give up. Anybody ever tried for a bit and given up? Aimless. Everybody say aimless. Everybody started a, uh, what do we call that? January 1st, New Year's resolutions. Don't lie. You've started one. And you didn't follow through because you were aimless. Everybody say aimless. Beat in the air. Okay. But I discipline my body and keep it under control. Lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. You can read First John. The little epistle he wrote, the five chapters. Not the big gospel, but the First John. Five chapters. He talks about. He talks about walking in love, loving your brothers, and 
Staying away from sin. And the very, I used to think it was so random. The very last line in 1 John, he says, My little children, keep yourself from idols. I'm like, what are we talking about? Why are you saying that? I, for the longest time, I couldn't figure out what he was talking about. He's talking about loving people, staying away from sin, who you are in Christ. Keep yourself from idols. And that's how he ends the whole thing. It's like this giant exclamation point on the whole book. Like If you didn't get it, if you didn't get it, when you serve a passion, when you serve a talent, when you serve an idea that isn't him, you're erecting an idol in your heart and you've lost your sight on Christ. Last week, we talked about perception and what it means to keep your sight on Jesus, right? And I was, um, <clears throat> I kind of had this example run through me a couple of weeks ago and I'll share it with you now. Like when we go on a road trip, it's a full van. There's six of us. And in any given moment, there could be video games going on in the back. Josh can tell you. <laughs> Fighting. It's my turn. Why did that happen? This game is broken. Yelling, screaming. Emma wants snacks. Chaos. You know, there could be all kinds of fits. Food's flying. Water's flying. Emma, she doesn't, we, we're trying to work with her. We give her, I want a drink. We'll give her a drink. She'll take it and she'll throw it on the ground. Water everywhere. I'm driving. <laughs> and, and Natalie's always been e- easier going and more live and let live kind of personality, you know. And they can all be asking questions at the same time. And she's just, mm-hmm. I'm like, do you not hear the 20 questions going on? <laughs> Driving. That's it's kind of like a little picture of life. Everybody say life. <laughs> There's some seasons of your life where it's just. But there's one thing I never forget when I'm driving. And it's the one thing that they beat into you and my dad beat into. You, you do not take your eyes off the road. I do not care if no one gets snacks. <laughs> I do not care if none of the games work, if no one's watching a show. I don't care if there's a fire back there. I'm going to make sure I don't hit the car that's in front of me. Right? Because in the order of operations of what is important, I'm holding everybody's life in my hands. Everybody got it? And man... I don't care what's going on in your heart. I don't care what's going on in your mind. I don't care what kind of turbulence is going on in relationships around you. I don't care what your finances look like, but you keep your eyes on Jesus. You do not let those storms and those things pull you away and distract you from time to have some fellowship with the Father. Time to get to know him better. And maybe there's seasons where it's not a clean hour that you get every day, but you talk to him. I thank you, Father, that you're with me today. Natalie's been working mornings and she goes, she's got shift at six o'clock. She's got to be at the coffee shop. That means she's up at five. And so the way we've started our days is at 545, we'll sit down and we both pray. And we pray before our day start at 545. And it's not an hour. It's about five minutes. And we just say, Father, we just thank you. And if there's something that hits our heart, we'll pray about it. Whether it's stuff here or stuff in her family or stuff in this. And Father, we just thank you that you're with us today.
Everybody say five minutes. Man, he's part of your day. And we keep our, that's one of the ways that she and I have kept our eyes fixed on him in the middle of everything going on. We've had a, a strange season. I'm staying home, dad, and she's working. We've never done this before. But it's, it's, I mean, we know it's not forever, but it's something I've been forced to, to face a lot of different things. And it's been a good season for me. But we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. Remember say amen? You, you got to keep your eyes fixed on him. You do not. And what, what can happen is day in and day out, no one meal is going to kill you. No one habit once is going to kill you. But if you continue to exalt something, someone, some passion, some desire, some other vision than him in your heart and your mind, over time, that life becomes dry. It becomes the form without the power. And you have essentially a dying relationship where you're serving some other idol. And that's exactly what John was talking about. He says, keep yourself from those things. Keep yourself from those things. Amen. Hallelujah. I want to switch gears. We've got about 10 minutes. Everybody kind of, everybody still with me? All right. Hallelujah. Let's go to, um, let's go to Luke chapter 14. Luke chapter 14. Before I read that, let me preface it with this. No? Okay, I'm sorry. We'll do this for 14 verse 25. Now great crowds accompanied him, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, And even his own life. Okay. He cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross. In other words, it's the instrument of his death. The instrument of his own death. I bet bet he shocked some people with saying this stuff. (laughs) Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. And here he's prophesying. He says, I'll show you the way I'm going if everybody wants to follow me. They didn't know he was going to die this way. What do you mean bear your own cross? I'm going that way. Anybody wants to follow me? You pick up your own cross. What does that look like? The life you used to live is over. You're going to die to that life and you're going to be raised to a new one. Okay. For which of you, and he says this, for which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it. Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. 
Or what king going out to encounter another king in war will not sit down first and deliberate whether he has with 10,000 enough to meet at him who comes against him with 20,000. Now, I've, I've meditated on this a little bit and tried to figure out. What. In other words, look, if you have 10,000 troops and the king that's coming against you has 20,000 troops. You better be willing to risk it all. <laughs> it's not like you've got a million troops and he's got 20,000 troops. You've got 10 and he's got 20. He's double you. <laughs> You're risking it all. Everybody say all. You're throwing everything at this fight. And, and he says, are you going to do this? And if not, while the other is a great way off, he might send a delegation and ask for terms of peace. And he says, well, you better make your mind up. Don't sit on the fence on this thing. <laughs> so therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. <clears throat> when, we were, um, when we were first pregnant with Joshua... And we were trying to figure out, because uh, there's all these different opinions about co-sleeping. Is it safe? Is it right? You know. And, and um, I think our midwife, who we had here, she was in Des Moines. She, she co-slept her children. In other words, the children slept with her, if anybody doesn't know what I'm talking about. The children slept with us in our bed, which took some getting used to. <laughs> and we were slow. I would say with Josh, it was about eight, nine months we started putting him in a crib. And, uh, you know, there's all this ideas like, I don't want to make them too dependent on me. I want them to be independent, right? You want them being healthy. No matter what you're doing, you want them to be healthy. And I'm, this is not a message for those of you who put your babies in cribs, okay? <laughs> I don't care if you do, all right? But our midwife said something to us that stuck with us, and it's the principle, the principle that stuck with me, and I've never forgotten what she said. She said, security breeds independence. That's what she said. She says, if your kids know they're secure, they will be independent. They're not going to be dependent on you. Everybody with me? So like we were concerned we were going to make them too dependent on us. She says, no, if they know they're fine, they're going to be independent. I guarantee you that is 100% true. (laughs) Josh, we take him to the, maybe it was because he was a little active boy, but I'd take him to the mall and he would be gone. I, I learned real quick, you can't let Josh loose in the mall because he will run. And most of the kids, you know, if you play that game, like, okay, fine, bye, you know, they'll turn around. Josh would not turn around. You would not find him. <laughs> I kept waiting. Okay, he's going to turn around. He's going to turn around. He never turned around. <laughs> like, so then I look like an idiot running, you know, half the distance of Jordan Creek Mall. Oh, the Joshua. He was independent. Everybody say independent. You are never more independent than when you fear only God. When only Jesus is the love of your life, you are completely independent of everything else. But if you do not fear him, if he is not Lord, then there are many lords in your life. And they are not good ones and they're not just. They are not good masters either. But if you have one master and it's Jesus... You're going to be independent. And this is why he puts it this way. He says, don't love your family more than you. Don't love your life more than you. Don't love your stuff more. I'm sorry. Don't love your life more than me. Okay. Don't love your family more than me. Don't love your stuff more than me. You have one objective and that is to keep your eyes on him. Everybody say, keep your eyes on Jesus. 
see, that takes accounting of the cost. And, and I want to just, for the last couple minutes, these last three minutes, I want to talk about counting the cost and leave you with this. <clears throat> Jesus set you free and he gave you life and he wants you to have life abundantly. He wants you to have him as Lord so that everything will be lined up perfect. So that from the top flow through to you, you'll have, you won't be in fear of everything in your life. You'll stand in strength and authority because you know who your head is and you know what you're supposed to rule in, in this life. And you won't be running around afraid of every giant that's coming around. <clears throat> but that takes accounting the cost. And when you count the cost, what you're doing is saying, I'm letting go of something, but I'm also receiving something. Okay. I know what it's going to cost me to build this tower, but I have to follow through in obedience. Everybody say obedience. And where the rubber meets the road, God loves and has redeemed each and every one of us, but he has a calling. He has a grace for each and every one of us. Everybody say calling. There's something he's asked you to do. There's something he's asked you to be. And I think a lot of times we lay down our life in the sense that we don't actually take ownership of what he's asked us to do. And we say, well, if God's going to do it, he'll do it. But he wants to use you to do it. He wants you to step up and be a godly kind of independence, not afraid of making mistakes, but knowing who you're supposed to be. Paul was given a grace to go preach the gospel to the Gentiles. He knew what his mission was. Yeah. What is the grace that God has asked each and every one of you to have? What is the mission he's put in front of you? What is the mission field that you see as you spend time with him? What is it that's on his heart for you? <clears throat> we have to count the cost. And determine whether we have enough to complete it. Part of following him is being obedient. If I say obedient, it's being obedient to the things that he's shown us. And, and I, I would rather make mistakes in trying than never make mistakes. There's things he's asking each and every one of us to step out on. Maybe this is where I'll pick it up next week when I come back. But... Part of building what God is asking you to build is one, knowing what the mission is. What is the mission that you have for me? And then taking steps. <clears throat> We're going to South Dakota this week. Mom bought a little Airbnb and that's fly fishing country up there. It's part of the reason I think we're going. Right? Now, I picked up fly fishing three years ago. I don't have any family that fly fishes. I don't have any friends that fly fish. No one taught me. I don't know any. I, I don't really know where it came from. I just wanted to learn how to do it. Okay. <laughs> Fast forward three years. I love it. I enjoy it. It's something that I can do. I look pretty good at it now. First time I did it, part of counting the cost is you look like an idiot. <laughs> I still remember going out there with that, trying to fling that thing out there, just slapping the water, scaring all the fish away. 
And on that day, there was probably 30 fly fishermen out there in that river. And I'm out there. I knew the cost was going to be. That guy looks ridiculous. (laughs) But when you count the cost. uh, We're going to a place where we get to do that. And it's going to be great. And I've had a lot of practice. I look pretty good. I've got everything down. I know more than I did then. I don't know everything. My point is this. And this is what we'll talk about next week. We'll end with this. God willing. Whatever your calling is, whatever the mission that God has for you is, do not, once it's beginning to be revealed to you what you're supposed to do, what your mission is, what your calling is, the things that you're supposed to build, don't leave it up to chance and just God to have it accomplished. Does that make sense? Because God is involved, but he doesn't want just robots obeying him. He wants sons on the same mission as him. He wants to partner with you, not do everything for you. And part of growing is trying and failing and making mistakes. And whatever grace and calling God has put in your heart to accomplish Start to pray about the steps. How do I do practically what I'm seeing in my heart? How do I do it? What do I do, Father? Because counting the cost, you're going to have to go through things that make you look silly. You're going to, but, but there's a whole other world on the other side of your obedience. That if, you're, if you never obey the prompting, if I never would obey the prompting to preach, I would not know who I was in that way. But because I did, and I know so many people, they tell me I'm too afraid to get up here. So you're probably called to do it then. <laughs> but you got to step through that fear. You got to step through that insecurity. You got to step through that. No, I don't want to do that. You got to, you, know, you got to do it. You think God's just going to come possess you and do it for you? That wouldn't, that wouldn't be a child developing. Yeah? Everybody with me? That's part of counting the cost. <clears throat> Which of you desiring a tower does not f- first sit down and count the cost, whether he is enough to complete it? <clears throat> I don't want to beat the air. I don't want to box And miss my mark. I don't want to have God put a vision in front of me. And not actually get to the end of my life. And say well that was a fun ride that I hoped would happen. I don't want to do that. Does anybody else want to do that? Does anybody else want to do that? I don't want to just have a vision that doesn't manifest. I don't want to have a picture that God has put in my heart. That doesn't actually come to place. I want to obey it and do it. Amen. All right. Hallelujah. All right, we'll pray and we'll be done for today. Father, I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful that you love us enough to challenge us, to grow us, to put us in situations that cause us to develop. Thank you, Father, that we count the cost. 
But when we start to build, when we start to put our hand to the plow, we don't finish until we completed what you've put in our heart to do. And that we would be able to come to the end and say, man, I, I ran my race. I ran my race. I was obedient. So, Father, we just thank you. And I ask you right now for your grace. Let's just lift our hands for a second. Father, I just thank you for your grace flowing right now. To see with clarity, with renewed passion and fervency, to define specifically the callings and the graces, the parts of the body that are here, whether metaphorically they're a hand or a foot or a mouth or an ear. I thank you, Father, for defining the grace and the calling. And helping them to see what it means to step into something new, to count the cross, to be obedient, to obey you. To die to that old life, but to experience something completely new and so wonderful that you're wanting to show us. And we just thank you for the grace to be fearless and the security of relationship with you. To walk in a freedom and an independence that's from you, that's godly. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen.